Well, Pastor Melody and I were out the other day, and <clears throat> we are putting up this sign on this road that was, um, there was some trouble ahead. So on the sign, we had put, we had put um, turn around before it's too late. And this car came up to us and shook his fist, and he said, you religious nuts. And he, he just went right through the sign and, and off the end of the bridge into the water. And Melody turned to me, and she said, you know, Galen, maybe we should have put um, a bridge out. It's not a true story. <laughs> well, I thought it was cute. And actually, it was Ole and Larson. They were Covenant and Lutheran pastors. But. So the, the message I'm going to do today is called Choices and Repentance. And we're taking kind of a shift from the Thessalonian church. And we're going to talk about the Corinthian church just a little bit today. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, as, as Jim read. And so much of our life is about choices choices we make, and uh, sometimes we don't choose so well. And often we, play, we downplay the importance of the daily choices that we make. We just think it's no big deal, um, that we really don't affect others' lives when we, when we make a choice. Even in terms of our actions as Christians, we speak and act often before we pray and we seek God's will in our daily situations. The Corinthian church was kind of caught up in that. They were making some pretty poor choices, and Paul was writing a letter to them. You see, they had become an ungodly church. They had they'd gotten caught up in worldly things. They were becoming immoral, and they were, they were not preaching the word of God like they should. They were kind of a deceptive church. And Paul's two letters to the Corinthians were, were letters of correction and discipline. Now, according to uh, theologians that are much smarter than me from what I've heard at seminary, that there's could have possibly been four letters that, that Paul had written to the Corinthian church, but there were only two that were actually preserved and put in God's word. And I always say, you know, well, why, why, weren't, they in, why weren't they found? Why, if they're lost letters, why don't we go looking for them? But I think the sovereignty of God, he put every Bible or every letter in the book that, uh, that he wanted in there. And it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, every, every bit of it. But as, I, as you think about the, the letters... Um, that he did write, it almost appears to me that there were other letters written. And from what I take of it, it's just like the other letters could have been this simple. Dear Corinthian brothers and sisters, knock it off and get on your knees. Love, Paul. That's simple. Sometimes we need someone to say that to us, don't we? Sometimes we start making some pretty foolish choices. And we just need someone to say, get over here. What are you, what are you doing over there? Wake up. There's a time to come back. We get caught up in playing sometimes on the fringes of sin instead of shooting for the bullseye of, of being the righteous person that God has called us to be. We tend to like to play around the gray areas, and, I, and that is not where God is calling us to this day or any day. And sometimes after you've gone through a, a long trial, I know in my life I've become spiritually dull. And I become almost complacent. I, I, I find myself not praying. I find myself not fellowshipping. I pull myself away. And, uh, and that's not good. That's not what we are called to do as Christians. Psalms 119.107 tells us that we need to seek the Lord to preserve us and to pick us up and dust us off. It's that plain and simple. We need fellowship. We need each other. Let me ask you, have you ever had to say something hard to someone? Have you ever had to 
discipline or correct someone when you see them making some poor choices? And why do we have to correct one another? Why, why is that part of our Christian life? So much of the world today, in the, or the churches in our world today, preach of God's love and, and how we are to compromise and how we should all get along. And then I look at Revelation 3.19, and it says, To whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Sometimes we are called to do that as Christians. We talk a lot about God's grace in the world today. And that is greater than all our sin. There is no doubt about it. But this morning I want to talk to you about choices and repentance, which is our doing. That's what we need to do. Repentance is important. And it is your choice. No one can do it for you, not even God. It is a part of your free will which God gave you. And only you can prevent, I was going to say forest fires, only you can repent. I got that from watching, who did that the other day? Jesse Peterson at VBS. He jumps out from behind the tree and scares the kids and, and me. <laughs> he said, only you can prevent forest fires. But this is only you can repent for you. There's no one else that can do it for you. Listen to what the prophet Hosea said to Israel about repentance. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. He's talking about the nation Israel and about the Lord. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rain, like the spring rains that water the earth. It's from Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Repentance is so important in your life and in my life. And it's one of the several main themes throughout Scripture. And when you think of it, when those who preach repentance very loudly and clearly, you can think of Ezekiel. And you can think of Jeremiah. You can think of Hosea. You can think of John the Baptist who said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You can think of Jesus in Mark 6.12 where he sends out the disciples and he says, Preach repentance to those around you. And then listen to this word from Luke 15.7. And it says, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. It almost appears to me that everything good that we receive from God flows through repentance, getting on our knees before our Heavenly Father. But of course, none of that is possible. No forgiveness is possible without the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and I. But it's our job and our responsibility to repent from our sin. And you think, why sin such a big deal? If I think about this as Dr. Tom would medically, you could say that sin is like a blocked artery to your spiritual heart. And repentance is like an angioplasty. I hope I said that right. An angioplasty. I even went on the internet to see how it worked. Opening up the spiritual flow in your life. Repentance is so important. But what's it all about? Maybe you say something to your wife and you hurt her feelings. What do you do about it? You say, sorry. You have an attitude? Or do you really just go to, him and say, go to your wife and say, I'm really sorry, honey. 
please forgive me. I've tried both methods. The first one doesn't work. <laughs> now, for you to truly repent, you must first of all recognize your sin. You have to recognize what's, what's, what's going on in your life. What is pulling you away? What is clogging that artery in your spiritual life? Next, you need to truly feel sorry for your actions. And then thirdly, you need to change. You need to change your behavior. Repentance is not easy, and it goes against what our sin nature tells us. Repentance is not part of who we really are without Christ. Maybe you struggle with worldly pleasures. Maybe you struggle with pride. Maybe you struggle with priorities where God isn't very high on your list. He only fits in when it's convenient. You realize that not putting God at the very top of your list is a sin? Do you realize that knowing what to do, what God is calling you to do, but you refuse to do it, is also a sin? Maybe you struggle with attitude and impatience, and so you get crabby and you're kind of hard to live with. So you push yourself, push others around and push others away, and you alienate yourself from the very people who care about you and, and would really love to help. Do you realize that that is also a sin? Maybe you get offended by someone and you pull away from, your, from the fellowship and you begin to harbor bitterness. That is a sin. True repentance is usually visible. And I, we see that in Acts 26 and also in Luke 3.8. And it tells us that we'll truly see repentance by its fruit, by its deeds, and by its actions. So I'd like us to just look at the five marks of repentance before I close for today. And the first mark of true repentance, I say, is having grief over sin. It's not just feeling sorry, but actually bringing you to a point of grief. And I, I'd like to look at that for the next slide, it says, it's from 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 10. It says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is Paul to the Corinthians, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow to me is like you should have that almost an internal feeling of feeling ill. Feeling such grief that you cannot think of anything else. That you begin to lose sleep over it. It's like having a heavy heart kind of a sackcloth and ashes kind of feeling. Then we see the difference between that and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow, I see it as you're sorry you got caught. You're not truly sorry for what you did. You're sorry for your circumstances, but you don't truly repent, and you truly don't change your ways. Secondly, I think the next mark of true repentance is that you become repulsed about the sin. You not only grieve it, but you become repulsed by it. Verse 11 says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? 
This is speaking of godly sorrow. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you proved yourself, yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You should be so overwhelmed with wanting to make things right when you have true godly sorrow in your life. Next, you should be overwhelmed with seeking restitution. That is the third mark of true repentance. And you should seek restitution with those that you've hurt. Now, to me, Zacchaeus is kind of the poster child or the poster boy for this because he wanted to pay more than he had taken. He had wanted to do more than those he had hurt. He had true repentance. He had a complete change of attitude and a complete change of behavior. The fourth mark of repentance is revival toward God. After you get through these first steps, through the grief and through the restitution and the repulsion about sin, you should have revival toward God. It should draw you. You should be so drawn in to making a choice for him. You should begin to get excited about God and his love. Because so many times in this world, we are pulled to worldly things. And we don't recognize what God's love truly is. It's not about just providing all our needs, blessing us with worldly gifts and abilities. Sometimes it's about reproof. Sometimes it's about correction and discipline and maybe some hard words that are hard to hear. And then finally, the last repentance is to move forward. There comes a time when you are truly repentant of your sin that it's time to move forward and not to look back. It's time that you find that you are no longer stuck in the rut that you were in. But God would pick you up and he would bring you out of the rut and he would set your feet on a rock. That rock being Jesus Christ. Worldly sorrow is shallow and it leads to self-pity and it leads to pride. It leads to bitterness and anger, resentment, Godly sorrow leads you to salvation, freedom from sin and guilt. I pray that you would see the difference this morning as we look at these two, as we look at what your choices in your life can make. For the choice you make is part of your free will. And even though sometimes we choose poorly, there is repentance, there is forgiveness. But we must choose to do that. It doesn't just happen. God is waiting for us. He wants a relationship so close. That's his desire. That's his hope for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And we pray, God, that you would just... Continue to speak to our hearts this week, Lord, about the choices we make, about the words we speak, about our actions, that we would choose carefully what we say, that we would help build a defense, Lord, against being offended by others, 
but that we would put our hearts and our eyes fixed on you. Lord, we pray that you would just open up our hearts, that we would look to you this week for strength. Father, teach us to come to you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the love that you give us. Father, and we praise you now in your precious name. Amen. We're going to end with a very simple song.